It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and welcome you to the virtual bible study for thursday march 24th 2016 thank you for joining us on the program tonight my name is jacob gwynn my father greg gwynn is here hello dad jacob great to be with you tonight good to be with you as well and uh, we appreciate you on the other end of the line eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven is the way you can join us on the discussion tonight or questions at collegeview.com or if you're listening to us live the chat window is open and ready for your comments there behind the board tonight we have kyle kyle thank you for coming tonight good to be here i look forward to hearing from you i think you've got some things to share on the subject tonight a subject that is uh, timely based upon uh, the calendar if nothing else yeah we thought we, we thought we would spend our time tonight talking about Easter, the Easter celebration, uh, how'd that get started? Is it rooted in the Bible at all? Is it related to Bible events at all? Uh, a lot of people begin talking, going to be talking about Easter this coming weekend. Uh, also, we're going to we're going to talk about a related uh, observance called Lent. Also, right. I can't find that in the Bible either, but we're going to talk about Lent. But then we're going to end up talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Because that's really what really matters, and and uh, we just want to be just spend a few minutes at the end of our study tonight, sort of talk about the the positive proof, the evidence of the resurrection. All right, we'll look forward to hearing from you again. Uh, the the toll free number is available anytime, even if you're listening to us in the podcast eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven, and you can use the email address questions at collegeview dot com anytime that you might be listening to us. If you are listening to us on our podcast, maybe on iTunes or uh, some other podcast receiver on your smartphone or on your computer. We're glad that you're listening, and we welcome your comments at any time. And if you haven't been to our website, check it out, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Before we get going any farther, still have some bumper stickers you can yeah, offer. Yeah, we can still get bumper stickers out. If you want one, send us an email to questions at collegeu.com. No charge. No There's... charge. Also, uh, send us your snail mail address, and we'll get one right in the mail to you. Also, remember that you can get on our mailing update list, if you're not, by sending us an email to that same address, questions at collegeview.com, and just put add me to the list, and we will do that. And you'll get our update. Uh, like the one we sent out today, Jacob, in which we mentioned that we we're going to be talking about the Easter observance. How is it related to things mentioned in the Bible? But then especially, uh, what is the positive proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Here are the questions we sent out earlier today. Number one, how is the date of the Easter observance determined each year? Yeah, okay, that's interesting. Uh, what's the history of the observance, and mm-hmm. is it biblical? Okay. Uh, then uh, related, does the Bible even mention Easter, and should we have a special Easter celebration? Mm-hmm. Then what is Lent, and how is it related to the Easter observance, and is it biblical? Okay. And finally, we want to talk about the strong arguments that prove the, rex- the resurrection of Jesus actually happened. So let's start out with that uh, question about 
how does the date of Easter, how does it get determined? Now, that's interesting because you know, I, I, I know I can pretty much tell you when Thanksgiving will be, and I know that Christmas will be always on the 25th, and I know that New Year's Eve is always going to be on the 31st of December, but this Easter moves around a little bit. Yeah, I found a chart that showed the the observance of Easter from 2001, and it projects it all the way through 2021. It's sometimes the earliest uh, uh, date is the 23rd of March, and the latest date is the 20th of April, and it jumps all over the place. Um, this year, of course, they're going to celebrate Easter on the 27th of March. How do they come by that? I mean, it, in fact, it's just... I think most to most people, it's the only way they would ever know how to figure out Easter is to look at the calendar. You know, when they get a new calendar for the new calendar year, they can look ahead to, well, it might be in March, but it could be in April. Yeah. When is Easter this year? Yeah. How do they do that? Well, actually, it is related to events in the Bible because we know that Jesus was crucified on the weekend that Passover was celebrated by the Jews in Jerusalem. All right. So... Actually, you know, this is kind of interesting because here we actually have a way to denote the the time when it happened uh, so much different than, for instance, the Christmas celebration. Christmas is not in the Bible, and we have absolutely no way at all of trying to determine the date of Jesus' birth. That's completely and absolutely man-made and arbitrary, as, as we've talked about many times. Easter, on the other hand... You actually can get a a calendar grab on that. You can you can you can get a, a, a toehold there and figure out from the cal- from the Bible when in 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 the calendar year the resurrection happened. Obviously, Easter is supposed to commemorate the resurrection of Jesus, and we can tell pretty closely when that happened. And in fact, I've I've, I've known of efforts to actually go backwards in in calendar time and actually pinpoint the exact date when jesus was crucified and when he was resurrected you can do that I mean, you come real close i suppose there might be some some uh, uh variations in the calendar at, uh, in all those centuries but you can get close and we know it would have happened in the springtime um the date of the passover yeah here, here's what i found the yeah, date of the passover is a complicated thing theoretically the date should be the 14th of the jewish month of nisan and it should correspond to a full moon, the Jewish calendar being connected to the lunar calendar. So every month in the Jewish calendar has 28 days yeah, they, for the lunar cycle. But then every third year or so, they have to add an additional month because they're not keeping up with, with the 365-day yeah. uh, month day, solar day month. calendar. Yeah. They got a lunar calendar, and so you have to do some catching up to get caught back up with the so solar calendar. So rather than a leap year, they have a leap, a leap month. month. Yeah. yeah, a leap day, yeah. Uh, so, um, what happens with the, typically, this is oversimplifying how the Jews, the the Jews had to ultimately rely on the rabbis periodically to announce when Passover would be because he, because again, the calendar, the solar calendar gets out of sync with the lunar calendar and, you know, how are you going to do that? But basically the observance is this. Because it's connected, and the Jewish calendar connects it this way, and and the Gregorian calendar, which we follow, connects it this way. Passover is typically the first 
Sabbath after the spring equinox. Okay. Uh, the, the, the No, no. It's on the full moon, the first full moon after the spring equinox. Okay. All right. And so that's why, and that's how you calculate Easter. And so we had a full uh, Easter, moon. We full full moon full, was this week. Right. So and there we had the spring equinox. And the spring week. equinox was back on the 21st. So it's time to have Easter. So we had the, the equinox on March 21st, and we had a full moon. And so here this year, Easter's real early yeah. in the end of March. It could, but, but it could be way later in April, depending on when that full moon hits after the spring equinox. Okay. Uh, so uh, on the Gregorian calendar, Easter is the first Sunday after the Passover full moon, which is the first full moon on or after March 21st. Thus, Easter will always fall somewhere between March 22nd and April 25th. Okay. Okay. Let me let me read that again. Here here it is. This is it in a nutshell, and this really gets it. We've used the Gregor, the Gregorian calendar. Yes, we do. On the Gregorian calendar, Easter is the first Sunday after the Passover full moon, which is the first full moon on or after the spring equinox, March twenty first. Okay. All right. See that. Right. Okay, now, now I can't say we actually see that, but I mean, yeah, it's a little bit confusing there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, here, here's another. I got, here's another note I found about the Easter is dated as the first Sunday after the first full moon of spring. It is the, it therefore occurs somewhere between March 22nd, April 25th. Uh, Passover, on the other hand, is based on the Jewish calendar, a lunar calendar that has 12 28-day months. Every two or three years, there's a 13th month called Adar two. Uh, which is included in the calendar to do, to make this catching up. Passover occurs from the 15th to the 21st of the month Nisan, which is the month right after the extra month. It starts the year with the spring equinox. Okay. Passover. Uh, can, therefore, Passover can actually fall as much as 30 days off of Easter. They're not always lined up because... We've gone to the Gregorian calendar and are calculating Easter based upon the Gregorian calendar, and, and the Jews are still calculating Passover off of the lunar calendar, and and so the, they don't line up exactly anymore. But but the point of all of that is it's connected with Passover. We know that because the te- the New Testament tells us that the New Testament clearly describes the fact that Jesus was arrested, tried, crucified, and was resurrected, all in conjunction with the Sabbath that began the Passover in Jerusalem. Okay. All right, if you have any comments about that, 877-381-4567, or if you're not too dizzy to type after that explanation, you can send in your comments in the chat room. I think that's pretty straightforward. I got it. I think we got it. I think it's pretty straightforward. All right. Um, So anyway, that's how the date of that, we asked that question. I didn't get anybody answering that. I don't know if any, it's not hard to do a little research on the Internet and find that, but I think most people typically do not know, uh, and they're just sort of befuddled every spring when they say, oh, uh, there's Easter Sunday. Well, okay. Yeah, you know? right. Uh, but that's how it's figured. Uh, the, I ask, what's the history of the observance? Well, the history of it is that it's not in the New Testament. That we the the Easter observance is not in the New Testament, and there was a lot of controversy about observing Easter in the early centuries of Christianity. And you can read about that. There's quite a bit of history, and the actual observance was not solidified until the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. Okay. And so uh, 
obviously, if you if you don't get this thing pinned down before 325 A.D., it's obviously not a biblical thing. Because yeah. if it was biblical, we would have had it recorded in the scripture, and there wouldn't have been any argument about it. Yeah. Uh, and and it would have been straightforwardly done according to the authority of the scriptures, which is not there. We need to we need to put that in perspective. Three hundred years, roughly, almost three hundred years after, after it happened, the resurrection. We're talking like the pre-revolutionary war kind of stuff here. If you put it in go back chronological yeah, times, we'd think, be familiar with. You're talking about seventeen hundred. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, something happened in seventeen hundred. We didn't decide how to do it until two thousand. Yeah, you know that's what we got here. The resurrection occurred in 30 A.D. probably, yeah, right? And it was almost 300 years later before the Catholics actually, well, the ones who would have been the precursors be, of the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church wasn't even fully functioning at that point, but about 300 years later, they came together in a council and said, "Let's do it that way." Yeah, it'd be like us deciding today that we're going to schedule or uh, celebrate July 4th. To, you know, two hundred some years after the after the fact, yeah, we'd say that. Well, that's not very authentic. That's there's so much time going there. That's not a historical thing that you're doing there. So, same is true with this. Yeah. It's been so now, long. I, I want to be clear on that. They were there were some observances of something called Easter right. before 325. Right. But 325 is when they finally said, okay, let's, let's agree on this. Yeah. Right. Uh, interestingly. There's there's a hint, and Kyle, you've got some on this, I think, too. Uh, th- there's a hint that the Easter celebrated, celebration is connected with paganism. You know, we have pointed out before that the Christmas celebration, that the, that the Catholics likely chose December 25th because the pagans who were being brought into the Catholic Church in mass, the pagans celebrated a, a, a ceremony to the sun god, uh, near the time of the winter solstice, which is December 22nd, December yeah. 25th. They had a winter, midwinter celebration because they worshiped the sun and they were, t- the sun has left us here in the Northern hemisphere. We've got to urge him to come back. Yeah. And so they, ha- the, the pagans had this midwinter celebration and the Catholics decided to, to try and, uh, uh, distract them from that pagan observance. They decided to make a, a so-called Christian observance at, at that approximate time of year. And we, uh, there's a lot of indications that's how they chose December 25th to celebrate the birthday of Jesus. Well, there's also some pagan connection in the Easter observance. In fact, the name Easter is probably derived from Estra, the name of the Teutonic spring goddess. And there's a lot of stuff that we don't even connect anymore, but the Easter bunny and the eggs and all that probably is connected with the idea of fertility rites of yeah. paganism. Yeah, right. Uh, you I, can uh, see that with the, some of those symbols. There's some connection there. Kyle, what what do you have on that? It's along the same thing. It's just, uh, I guess it's uh, the vernal equinox is what I guess is another name for that time. Of, uh, Before the spring equinox, yeah. vernal equinox, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, there's tons of different names. I know I saw, I think it's... Uh, I think it was the Gaelic. They had the about the, the fire wheel, like the sun. They wanted the sun to come back, worshiping their sun god. They wanted to, yeah, it's just uh, Ishtar, or, yeah, Esther, and yeah, just a lot of different. Uh, there, there, there's there's some some pretty clear connection to paganism there in Easter, in the naming of it, and some of the observances that are associated with it. You know, someone might ask, well, are we doing are we doing the wrong thing if we have an Easter egg hunt? You know, 
uh, I don't think so. If we make it clear that we're not connecting that to anything biblical or right. anything religious, we're just right. we're just having fun with kids. And I don't think anybody thinks they're worshiping a pagan spring goddess when they have an Easter egg hunt. If you do, if you're doing that in the name of pagan worship, stop doing it. Stop. You know? yes, yes. But but I don't think that's a problem. All right. Well, let's get a break. When we get back, you know, there is actually a reference to Easter. In the New Testament. Oh, What's yeah, up let's with talk that? About, let's talk about that. We need to talk about that because it says that they were, they were referencing something called Easter. Does that mean that it's a biblical observance? Let us know your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this. Don't go anywhere. You might miss something. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Hi, this is Jordan Sanders from College View Church of Christ, and here's some thoughts for you today. Have you ever wondered why there never seems to be enough time to get everything done? Well, we may not have the answer. According to an article in U.S. News, an average American in his lifetime will spend six months at a stop sign, eight months opening junk mail, one year looking for misplaced items, two years unsuccessfully trying to return telephone calls, five years waiting in the line, and six years eating. Other recent studies suggest that we will spend as much as 20 years watching TV and even more time sleeping. Now, to put this in proper perspective, think of this. If you attend every service of church, Sunday Bible study, Sunday morning and evening worship, and Wednesday night Bible study, you will spend only about 1.5 years total. That's only slightly more time than you will spend looking for misplaced items and only about twice as much time as you will spend opening junk mail. But some Christians will not even do this much. Over and over again, we return to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Do not forsake the assembly of ourselves together. God commands us to assemble. Why? The context of this verse clearly shows that it is for our benefit. Are you taking advantage of this great blessing? Christian, how are you using your time? If you don't regularly attend all of the services, you may be spending more time opening junk mail than worshiping God. Isn't that a terrifying thought? Here's some quotes worth pondering. When the qualities of courage, persistence, gratefulness, calmness, gentleness, and unselfish love are present in a person's character, it is easier to receive his words and to follow his instructions or example. Satan never wastes a fiery dart by aiming at a spot covered in armor. The bullseye is located dead center in our inconsistencies. Our love for Christ is shown in the trenches, not in the pews. Man, wish I'd said that. How about logging off of Facebook and getting into God's book? The virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the program to talk about Easter and ask if it's a biblical holiday. Now, hey, yo, you, you brought up yeah. just before the break that you read about Easter I in, did. in the Bible. Yeah, and um, it's in Acts chapter 12, verse 4. Yeah. I can read about them waiting till after Easter. What's up with that? I'll read this. This is the King James Version, Acts chapter 12, beginning verse 1. Now about that time, this is Acts 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James the brother of John with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison, delivered and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Yeah. Oh, oh whoop, there's Easter. We, I thought we said it wasn't in the Bible. It actually is not in the Bible. This is talking about Passover. Yes. The, the word is Pasha, which is the word for Passover. Yeah. Uh, that word is found... 29 times in the Greek New Testament, right. and every other time it's translated Passover. Yeah. 
And this was just, this is probably one of the most blatant flaws in the King James translation of the right. Bible. Right. That, that's just, that's just outrageous that they stuck that in there. They were trying to get Easter in the New Testament. They just arbitrarily threw it in. It is, that is not the word. That's not what it means. It means, in fact, notice in the context, it was connected with the days of unleavened bread. Well, and uh, Passover, they observed the Passover Sabbath and then, for seven days, the the feast of unleavened bread. Now, and it's interesting. Herod's persecuting the church. Does it make any sense that Herod would make his decisions about when he's going to bring him forth? Because based of upon a Christian, Easter, because a of Christ- a Christian celebration, right? Yeah, it no. seems like it doesn't even fit the context that it, he would be doing. He, he, it based it, upon the, the text says he was doing what he was doing to please the Jews. Yeah, so, so he's not he, waiting until after he, Easter. He's, no. he's waiting until after Passover. Right. Yeah. Exactly right. Uh, I checked. I checked several other uh, uh, translations of the New Testament. None of them say Easter. They all say Passover. I don't think you can find any reputable translation in the New Testament. And the King James here is way, way off. This is bad. You know, if someone wants to complain about the King James, here's a place yeah. to complain. In fact, this is kind of interesting because I know some people who believe that the King James yeah. translation is the only one you can use and that it's sort of an inspired translation. Well, if it's inspired, it wouldn't have that there. Yeah, uh, we've cha- I've challenged or been in a group with we challenged those who believe that about that translation. Yeah. They have some explanation for it, but doesn't doesn't hold water. And um, you, uh, the listeners in the chat room are all over this. Jeff says not a biblical occurrence, more like a biblical mistranslation. It should have been translated Passover in Acts twelve verse four in the King James version. Guest nineteen thirty one says the English King had Easter added to the King James version. This entry satisfied the church. Yeah, of it was it was to accommodate people, not to to be true to the, the text. text. Yes. Okay. Uh, so we've covered several things here. How do you calculate the Easter observance each year? What's the history of it? Well, it's a sordid history connected with, possibly with paganism, not really firmly established in practice until three centuries after the church began, which obviously proves it's not biblical. Yeah. It is mentioned in the King James Version of the Bible because it's a mistranslation of Acts chapter 12, verse 4. It's related, but but this this timing of this event, even though it's not founded in the, the, the Easter observance, it's not founded in the Scripture, the timing of it is calculable. Is that a right word? Calculatable? Uh, because we, of the Passover. Right. We, we, can, we can come close. But it's not a biblical observance. Christians are not authorized to celebrate Easter, not authorized to celebrate Easter as a special annual event that acknowledges the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We and we say no, that because we just don't read about it. Yeah, the Bible is silent on that. And as big as, I mean, this is the, this is the focal point of the Catholic year. And you would think if it was such a critical holiday that there would be some reference to it. Throughout the pages of the New Testament, no reference There's at all. There's not any. There's just not any. That's right. right. Okay. What we do instead, of course, is on every first day of the week, when we assemble together, we remember the death of Jesus on the cross of Calvary, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus taught us to do that in the Lord's Supper. We know that first century Christians did that each first day of the week. Acts 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. And so... 
We don't have an annual celebration of Easter. Instead, we have a weekly observance of the Lord's Supper in which we commemorate and remember the death of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. All right. Let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. You know, interestingly there, just sort of a side note, a lot lot of times when fellows are... uh, uh, attending at the Lord's table, they'll say something about us gathered here to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Right. The Lord's Supper really is not about the resurrection. Or it's, the burial. Or the burial. It's about his death. It's about his sacrifice. We're remembering his body and his blood. Yeah. Uh, now, obviously, the fact that they buried him and he rose again the third day is absolutely crucial, vital, essential to our faith. Yeah, we wouldn't be celebrating the Lord's Supper if that hadn't occurred. Yeah, that's right. But uh, it's not why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. The, the Lord's Supper is about his death. Right. Exactly right. Yeah. Something to remember. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, uh, again, should we, uh, the, the final part of that question, we had two questions on this. Should we have a special Easter celebration? I think the answer has to be no, because it's without authority. We, we just can't do it. Uh, no, now, no. I think that well, well, you, I interrupt you. I, I was just going to say, those who celebrate it, I don't think we can question their motives. No. No, I mean, and, and I, I I would say that many believe it's a good thing. I mean, they're trying to do what's right. To them, it makes sense. But it's not about what makes sense to us or what we think is good. Uh, it's not about our sincerity. It's about what God has said to yeah. do. You know, we made this point several times when we've been talking about the Christmas observance. You know, if someone wanted to set aside a day of the year and say, I'm just going to spend this whole day just remembering the fact that Jesus was born uh, to a virgin in Bethlehem and I'm going to read the Bible accounts and I'm going to pray and be thankful that Jesus came as a baby to live on earth, to live among men. We've made the point. If someone wanted to do that as a personal practice, they could do that. And I think the scriptures allow for that sort of thing in Romans chapter 14. I would say the same thing about Easter. If I want to spend a day, you know, pick a day. I could pick any day I wanted, and and I just want. I'm, I'm going to read all the gospel accounts about how Jesus suffered and died on the cross of Calvary, how he was buried. We're going to read all the things about the resurrection. We're going to, I'm going to review the proofs of the resurrection. I'm going to set aside a day to do that. Could I do that? Well, yeah, you could do that. But what we're talking about is a mandated corporate observance of a day like Easter or Christmas, for that matter. They're not in the Bible, and we're not authorized to do that as a a collective function of the church. All right. What do you think? Send in your thoughts in the chat room uh, tonight. So, again, people who are doing this are doing it, I think, sincerely, many of them. And uh, and it seems like, I mean, it seems reasonable to me that that this is something we should remember but again, the scriptures don't authorize it. We can't do it without uh, without divine authority. And as you mentioned, we have been uh, instructed to remember this event, remember the crucifixion. We do that on the first day of the week, uh, and so we need to stick with what the Bible said. Otherwise, if we open the door and say, "Well, it doesn't say not that we should do this, but we think it's a good idea." Then that then you have to open the door for anything that somebody might think is a good idea. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, in the chat room, Jeff mentions uh, the the folks who want to argue that we can only use the King James version of the of the English Bible. They argue that it should be the 1611 version. I, I don't know if they all do, but actually, 
most of us can't make any sense at all of the 1611 version of the King James Bible because that old English has changed so much. It's, it doesn't even make sense. And right. he even mentioned some of the letters are used differently. Uh, S looks like an F in old English. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of problem with that view that the King James Version is an inspired translation. We have numerous. I think the King James is a good translation of the Bible. It's the one I use. I like it. I grew up with it. It sounds right to me because I'm so used to it. Uh, and that's the one I primarily use. But to say that that's the only one you can use is just off base. It's just not true. It's, it's be, and, and again, as we've said from this reference to Easter in Acts chapter 12, verse 4, proves that it's not a flawless translation. And if listening to the explanation of how you determine when Easter is didn't make you dizzy enough, you can listen to the explanations of those who try to defend the fact that, that you should only use the King James Version. Yeah. And it'll make you just as dizzy, if not dizzy, or trying to follow their logic and reasoning. Yeah. Uh, so it is It is interesting. I guess 1931, talking about Easter, secular with pagan origins mixed with Christian worship. How far have we slipped? I, I think it's right. I mean, that's what Easter is. Secular with pagan origins and trying to mix it with Christian worship. It, it's just off base. All right. All right, now... Uh, we're all, let's take our break. Let's take our mid-hour break. And when we come back, we want to talk about an associated observance to Easter. We want to talk about Lent. Lent. All right. Uh, look that up for me in the Bible while we take this break. All right, yeah. See what you can find about Lent. Did they find it in the Bible, or did they just uh, pull it out of their pocket? Let us know your thoughts. Don't go where the virtual Bible study continues right after this. Wow, it isn't so hard to understand the Bible after all. There's more exciting study and discussion coming after these messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. We have some thoughts this week about the indestructible word of God. When Antiochus Epiphanes became ruler of Syria in 175 BC, he destroyed the Jewish temple, sold the people of Jerusalem into slavery, and sought to do away with their sacred writings, forcing Greek culture upon the Jews. This was all done in an effort to substitute Zeus worship for the worship of God. Frank E. Hirsch, in the book Abomination of Desolation, wrote, quote, The observance of all Jewish laws, especially those relating to the Sabbath and to circumcision, were forbidden under pain of death. The Jewish cult was set aside. In all the cities of Judea, sacrifices must be brought to the pagan deities. Representatives of the crown everywhere enforced the edict. Once a month, the search was instituted, and whoever had secreted a copy of the law or had observed the rite of circumcision was condemned to death. However, God saw to it that efforts to destroy the sacred writings of the Old Testament failed. Roman Emperor Diocletian decreed death for any person who owned a Bible. After two years, he boasted, quote, I have completely exterminated the Christian writings from the face of the earth. In fact, he is said to have erected a monument over the ashes of burned Bibles. However, when Constantine came to the throne and desired copies of the Bible offering a reward to anyone who could deliver one, within 25 hours, 50 copies of God's word were offered to the emperor. Voltaire, the notorious French infidel, in 1778 boasted that within 100 years the Bible would be no more. Later, the very press that printed the blasphemous prediction was used to print Bibles, and the house in which Voltaire lived was used by the Geneva Bible Society to store Bibles and as a distribution center. Robert Ingersoll, an American agnostic, once held a Bible up and boasted, In 15 years, I will have this book in the morgue. Within 15 years, Ingersoll himself was in the morgue. However, the Word of God lives on. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. 
See, I told you we'd be back. The virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the program. Remind you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. If you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area, or maybe you're not the Columbia, Tennessee area, maybe you're thinking about a vacation, come and worship with us. Uh, find out more about us at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. All right, we had a follow-up question. We've talked about Easter. We've got something that's related to Easter. What about Lent? What is Lent? How is it related to Easter? And is it biblical? Okay. Well, probably, you know, if you have, if you are a Catholic or have been around Catholics, you know something about Lent. You've heard of it anyway. Heard but it. seems like a lot of so-called Protestant religions are also getting in the act of observing Lent. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, they've started observing Easter, right? Even so-called churches of Christ are doing that with their Easter egg hunts in the yard. So it only makes sense that we'd start to adopt some other things as well. If it's if one thing's good, why not more? Yeah, Lent. Here's here's what Lent is. Here's this is from uh, aboutchristianity.com. Uh, says Lent is the Christian season of preparation before Easter. The Lenten season is a time when many Christians observe a period of fasting, repentance, moderation, self-denial, spiritual discipline. Hmm. That, you know, that that seems like that's something you're supposed to do all the time. You know, but those who observe it, I mean, it. I heard, overheard some saying that uh, their, well, their thing for Lent was to go to church every Sunday. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, so it sort of sounds like, as you said, something that maybe should be a regular yeah. practice. Uh, during the, the six weeks of self-examination and reflection, Christians who observe Lent typically make a commitment to fast or to give up something, a habit such as smoking, watching TV or swearing, or a food or a drink such as sweets, chocolate, or coffee. Some Christians also take on a Lenten discipline such as reading the Bible and spending more time in prayer to draw near to God. You know, this is kind of funny because it seems like we only do these sort of things on a, on a, on a, six weeks out of the year. That's about all we can take. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I mean, and, and it, Lent's a period of misery for a lot of folks. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's it's just about, a very stressful time. A lot of moody uh, Catholics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Ash Wednesday marks the first day or the start of the season of Lent, which begins 40 days prior to Easter, technically 46 days because the, you don't count the Sundays for some reason. Now, now Ash, Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday. That's Lent. And that's the day and after. That follows Fat Tuesday. Fat Tuesday, which is the drunken festival day. Well, that's, yeah. But the reason it's called Fat Tuesday is because you're going to, you want to load up on fatty foods because you're not going to have any right. for the next but, six but it's, weeks. It's Mardi Gras and things yeah. like yeah, that. But, the yeah. carnival season, that's yeah. the conclusion of the carnival season. In yeah. other words, yeah. get it all out of your system because yeah. you're going to have to be good for, for six, six weeks. six long weeks, you're going to yeah. have to act like a Christian. Right. Yeah, so that's what Lent is. Now, uh, I think what is interesting, you and I talked about this, Jacob. It's not just the Catholics. I mean, where are you going to read about that in the Bible? Well, you're, you're not going to read about that in the Bible. Now, you can read about fasting. You can read about prayer. You can read about Christian discipline, moderation, self-denial. But you can't read about it during just a spe- specified season of the of the calendar year. Yeah, It's not in the Bible. Now, they try to make a connection to Christ uh, 40 days in the wilderness following his baptism, but that's not, again, not connected again, to Easter. No, that's not connected to Easter, and that would be another thing that we don't have any idea what time of year that occurred. Nor instruction that we need to uh, exactly, replicate it. Exactly. Okay. So you get the idea that that is all just completely fabricated by man's imagination. Now, 
if we can add that, if we can say, yeah, that's, that's, that, let's add that. Well, then I got some other things. Let's add, uh, you know, yeah. we, uh, I got a whole list of things. We, I want to yeah, add stand on your head and read the Bible all day Friday, uh, yeah. you know, one day a year or something, you know? It's just it's just very sad that, that people give credence to that. But, again, it's not just the Catholics. I think that originated with the Catholics, the, the idea of Lent. But a lot of, of uh, mainline denominations are joining in that sort of thing as well. And it's just completely unbiblical. Again, no doubt some sincere motive, motives there. People desiring to get closer to God and be serious about their service to him. No denying there's some sincere motivation. But where is the authority for it? Uh, we simply can't find it in the Bible. And if we don't have authority for it, it doesn't matter if we're sincere or not. It doesn't matter if it makes sense or we think it's a good idea. If it's not in the Bible, we don't have authority for it. It's not authorized and it would be a violation of God's will. All right. So that sort of that sort of touches all the bases on Easter and Lent. But we suggested in our update questions that let's let's talk about the resurrection because that's what people are focused on right now. And this would be the approximate time of year when the resurrection took place. And knowing about the resurrection, remembering the resurrection, and certainly being convinced of it in our own minds and able to convince other people that the resurrection of Jesus happened. That's really important. All right, so we want your thoughts. Uh, sign in the chat room. Comment in the chat room. What do you think is the number one strongest argument to prove that the resurrection actually happened? A lot of folks are questioning, denying, and challenging the idea that the resurrection occurred. What do you believe is the strongest argument that the resurrection actually happened? A lot of arguments to show that it did occur. What do you believe is the strongest argument? Send it in the chat room or give us a call. We want to hear your thoughts. I think uh, maybe here we just emphasize how important the resurrection is. Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning verse 13, If there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. He goes on in that text to say, Ye are yet in your sins. They which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Yeah. So uh, Paul said, if the, if the resurrection didn't happen, we got nothing, basically. Yeah. We're, we're wasting our time and we're making ourselves miserable for nothing. Yes. If the resurrection didn't happen. But he said, the fact of the matter is, the resurrection did occur. It, did, it didn't happen. Our faith is in vain. Jesus put it forth as really the primary proof that he was what he was in uh, matthew chapter 12 verse 39 is one place he answered said to them an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign there shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet jonas which he goes on and explains as he, jonah was in the three days in the belly of the whale for three days uh so shall the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth in verse 40 of matthew chapter 12 so jesus basically hung it all on that yeah, uh, uh, Paul said the same sort of thing. Romans 1, verse 4, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of Holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Right. That's the ultimate proof of his deity, is his resurrection from the dead. Right. So he said he would be raised three days after he was crucified. If he did not raise from the dead, he was a liar, and he should not be believed, he should not be followed, and we should not want to wear his name. Uh, because it's all a sham. Exactly right. So it's really important. It's important for us to be fully convinced that the resurrection happened. And there's uh, some interesting ways to go about studying that. One of the ways I like to do is 
first of all, to prove that Jesus certainly did die on the cross of Calvary. You know, there's some there's there's some skeptical arguments that suggest that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He he was hurt real bad. He looked dead. But Kyle, you're in the medical field. You know, if a person's vital signs are so weak and and the breathing so shallow, heart beats so faint, especially when they didn't have advanced detecting devices even not even anything as good as a stethoscope to listen for a heartbeat you could you know they they're saying well yeah they they thought he was dead he wasn't really dead they just thought he was dead now you ever checked on a patient in the middle of the night and come in with i wonder if they're dead uh, well i guess I've, I've been a nurse for 10 years so i guess it's you know, I, sometimes i walk by a room i have to just like sit there and do a double take real quick just to make sure but the you know but Jesus had uh, gone through severe trauma and lost so much blood. There is, I, I highly doubt. Yeah. There's just no question. It was, especially if he, they stabbed him with the the spear, and it was he lost so much fluids and water. And when he died, he was he he he, was yeah, he died on the cross. There's, yeah, I think I think that's what we got. You know, I've made the point before. In order to prove the resurrection, you first got to have a dead man. So you got to prove that Jesus died, that he didn't just swoon on the cross, look dead, but not really dead. He really died. And there's a you can go through a long list of things, uh, a sleepless night of prayer in the garden where he prayed and sweated blood. Actually, there's an indication that a medical phenomenon known as hemodistrosis occurred where blood mingled with his sweat. He was under such enormous emotional stress. He was betrayed by a friend, deserted by all of his closest friends. He he was he had the equivalent of six uh, uh, trials, if you could call them that, in a matter of several hours through the, the dark hours of the night. Again, he'd been without sleep all night. Without sleep all night. Then, of course, that's the scourging. Uh, if you read any uh, historical descriptions of what a scourging was like. Uh, it, 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 men died from being scourged. I mean, it, it, there's a possibility that Jesus would have gone on to die after being scourged, even if they had not crucified him, because that was such a... It wasn't thing. a Jewish beating either. It was a Roman beating. The Roman beating, so they, there would be they, no limit on the number and of And they would literally be, beat the man until the centurion in charge stopped it because uh, he feared he would go on and die right there. It, I don't know what our listeners think about that. There was a, uh, several years ago now... Uh, the Passion of the Christ was a popular movie in the in the theaters. I didn't see it on purpose because I didn't want that movie to color my mind when I think back to the cross. But a lot of Christians did see it, and and I think a lot of people liked it a lot. But I remember reading uh, about the filming of that, and and when they the the actor who portrayed Jesus when they scourged him, they actually had a thing on his back so that they could beat him with the scourge and not hurt him. It was some kind of a hard uh, cast-like uh, protector over him. But the guy who was administering the beating with the scourge missed and actually hit him once with the scourge. They had to suspend filming for three days because he took one whack from the scourge, wow. and it actually hit him, hit his flesh, and, and, and just one blow did such damage to him. Jesus endured that scourging, and as I said, that in itself likely could have produced mortal right. wounds. Right. Uh, uh, then, of course, they mocked him with the purple crown, a purple robe and a crown of thorns, jabbed the crown of thorns into his scalp, more bleeding. Uh, your, your scalp bleeds a lot 
There's a lot of blood flow to, to your head. Yeah, there is. Uh, yeah. Uh, he was forced to carry his own cross to Calvary, but he was so weak he couldn't do it. They had to. So that shows us his physical condition before they even got to the cross. Badly weakened before he got to Calvary. Yeah. So you know all of those things would indicate that uh, Jesus was already well on the way to dying before they nailed him to the cross. They nailed him to the cross. You know, uh, there's there's uh, been some skeptics doubt whether that. Bible account of that is accurate, you know, because they said the Romans didn't nail people to crosses; they tied them with ropes. But there's been some archaeological discovery which indicates that the discover uh, skeletal remains of people have been discovered who clearly were impaled with nails on the cross. Uh, so confirmation of the biblical account. Can, can you imagine being nailed with nails to a wooden cross? Uh, I've thought before about the hands. You know, they likely did not nail through the palm of the hand because a nail there would have torn out, torn the flesh out. It would probably fall off the cross pretty fast if they nailed you through the palm. Mm-hmm. Most experts say they probably would have nailed uh, a victim right through the base of the hand, right where the hand joins the wrist, which is still te- technically part of the hand. And if that's the case, which it almost certainly is, that nail would have gone right through that bundle of nerves. You know, we all know people who've had carpal tunnel mm-hmm. surgery because that that nerve bundle gets inflamed and they it causes a tremendous amount of pain when you have that carpal tunnel syndrome. This the nailing of Jesus would have driven nails likely right through and mm. severed that bundle of nerves, and they say that the pain from that would have been indescribable. Just mm. the, the, just the nails there, and then of course nails through his feet. Hanging left to hang on the cross for six long hours, gasping for breath. That we understand that the the way that a, a crucifixion victim would die would be by suffocation, because as they would hang, in other words, they would push up with their feet to try and relieve the the stress on their chest muscles so they could grab a gulp of air. But the pain on the feet would be so great they'd slump down again, and eventually they'd become so weak they couldn't raise themselves up to get a gasp of air likely dying from suffocation from six hours hanging on the cross. It's interesting. Jesus made seven statements from the cross. Mm -hmm. Studying those is interesting. Each of the seven statements was shorter, Mm -hmm. probably because he couldn't get his air. He was suffocating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, And he died. And he died. And then they pierced his side. As you said, Kyle, they pierced his side. The Roman Roman, uh, soldier standing nearby pierced his side with a sword. They came to kill the, the three men who were Jesus and the two thieves were hanging there. They didn't want him left on the cross. The Jews didn't want him left on the cross because the next day was the, the Passover Sabbath. Right. Uh, so they come to break their legs. The reason they'd break their legs so they couldn't push up. So they couldn't push up to grab a gulp of air. They, they broke the legs of the thieves because they were still alive. When they came to Jesus, he was dead already. They did not break his leg bones, which was actually fulfillment of prophecy but the Roman soldier pierced his side with a spear, and there was a visible flow of blood and water that came from his side. Most medical experts say the only place in the body of Jesus that could have had a reservoir of blood and fluids at that point, because he had lost so much blood, probably his heart and the pericardium, the sack of fluids around the heart, is probably is almost certain that that's what that spear thrust penetrated through his side, struck his heart. Of course, that's what a Roman soldier would have been trained to do with his spear. You know, he wasn't just he, he wasn't just doing that willy-nilly. He knew what he was aiming for. No, these were accomplished 
yeah. at their at their uh, craft here of, yeah. of persecuting and getting the job done and killing those who they were crucifying. So they were. This wasn't their first time around. They weren't. Uh, they weren't just sort of figuring it out as they went. They knew what they were doing. Yeah. And they got the job done. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Roman executioners were, were, as you said, expert at their craft. They did not, people did not survive their treatment. Okay. So Jesus was dead. Our point in all that is to say Jesus certainly died on the cross. And anybody who tries to come up with some argument for the resurrection that says he wasn't really dead when they took him down from the cross is just not taking into account the available information. All right. Uh, let us know your thoughts. We need to get one last break. Do you want to get a break? Or want to keep going? Here? No, let's let's grab our break. When we come back, let's talk about the proof that he was resurrected. All right. Jeff says that it'd be hard to decide what would be the number one argument, but he would say that number one is that the Bible says so. Well, we'd have to agree with that. Yeah. Uh, if the Bible, if the Bible is in, in fact inspired, we have all the proofs to show that it is. If it says it happened, it happened. And so that's the number one proof in Jeff's mind. What about your thoughts? Do you believe there's a uh, number one? What's the best proof you think? Uh, maybe not the best, but just some other proofs that you might have of the resurrection. How do you know the resurrection occurred? Let us know your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. I'm Trent Haynes, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a reminder about the update mailing list for the virtual Bible study. Every Thursday, shortly after noon, an email message is sent out with information about the topic for discussion on that evening's program. You're invited to start sending feedback and comments that are then included during the broadcast. If you'd like to be added to our update list, just send a message to questions at collegeview.com and put add me to the list in the subject line. That's all there is to it. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Mother's attitude toward work have changed considerably in recent years. Among mothers with children under age 18, the share saying they would prefer to work full-time increased from 20% in 2007 to 32% in 2012. The public remains conflicted about what is best for children. Among all adults, only 16% say the ideal situation for a young child is to have a mother who works full-time. A plurality of adults, 42%, say mothers working part-time is ideal, and one-third say it's best for young children if their mothers do not work at all outside the home. That information is via Pew Research Center. The Word of God says in Proverbs 31, verse 28, Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. See, I told you we'd be back. The virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the program, going to the top of the hour, talking about Easter and proofs of the resurrection. Uh, let us know your thoughts. Uh, what do you think is the best argument for the resurrection? You know, real quickly, let's talk about Jesus was buried in a, in a known tomb. Right. I've heard arguments that he couldn't prove a resurrection because they wouldn't even know where he was buried. They just took crucifixion victims and threw them, threw them in mass graves, which is not true. Again, archaeology has found skeletal remains of crucifixion victims in family tombs in Palestine. So we know that that's, uh, you know, that, that did happen. In the case of Jesus, it did happen. It happened uh, buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, uh, a known place just outside the walls of Jerusalem, right in the very vicinity of the place where Jesus was crucified. They didn't take the body off to some distant, remote desert place and then come back weeks later and say, oh, guess what, you know, uh, the resurrection occurred. No, the resurrection occurred right there, just outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Anybody who wanted to investigate the empty tomb could have done so by making a short walk 
the tomb was there. It was known where Jesus was buried, and it was empty on the first day. Of the week. And it was marked. It was marked. It was marked it was. by hostile witnesses. It was guarded by hostile uh, parties. Right. No. In other words, that's kind of in, essential in proving the resurrection. You know, people who didn't want the resurrection happened because they knew that Jesus had actually predicted that he would be resurrected. Yes. And so they set a guard. They set guards to guard the tomb so that there could be no foul play. They right. sort of they sort of guarantee that the the disciples of Jesus confidence. weren't messing around here trying to, yes. to 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 come up with a phony claim. We had real Roman guards guarding the tomb. And so we can were, be a Thankful of that. Yeah, that actually helps us out. Helps us out. And Jeff says if the body had been stolen or the guards just didn't do their job, then the guards would have been executed for dereliction of duty. Exactly right. And so Jeff says we've got uh, the guards here who prove that the tomb was empty. You know, the, the empty tomb is actually beyond dispute. Nobody can argue that the tomb remain that Jesus body remained in that tomb. Won't take time to read this. We don't have time for it. But. If you read the, the, the 28th chapter of Matthew, uh, the, the guards came in, verse 11, the guards came into the city and showed to the chief priest all the things that were done at the tomb. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money to the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ear, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. You know, a couple things wrong with that. One thing, if it was true that the disciples stole the body while the guards were sleeping, how could the guards say so? Sleeping men cannot give testimony as to what happens while they are asleep. Yeah, those who want to deny the resurrection have, haven't got any better arguments now than they did from the very beginning. Yeah, They've yeah. all been full of holes. Yeah. And yeah. So, are, so is there. And, and as, as Jeff said in the chat room, those soldiers typically would have been uh, subject to s- severe discipline, probably pay with their lives, but the Jewish authorities stepped in to protect them. They bribed them to tell a lie and protected them against punishment from their superiors. It says so right in the text, and this yeah. was a commonly reported among the Jews. Now, you want a, you want a commentary on how hard and, uh, and callous your heart can get. Think about those guards who witnessed the resurrection and yeah. then were so hard-hearted and, and callous that they would then lie about it. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, scary there about how hard our heart can get. So we got, we've got the eyewitnesses. I mean, excuse me, we got the empty tomb. We also have got eyewitnesses who saw the resurrected Jesus. We won't, again, take time to read this because we're running short on time. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning verse 3, Paul enumerates the people who saw Jesus when he was resurrected. And he mentions in verse 6, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6, that he was seen by above 500 witnesses at one time. And he says, uh, most of those people are still alive. A few have died, but basically, if you want to go ask them, you can ask them yourself. These reports of the resurrection circulated within the lifetime of the witnesses who saw the resurrected Savior. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1 down through verse 6. Uh, so we see the listing there. You know, there's this argument that I've heard, others have no doubt heard it as well, that you know, early Christians didn't believe in a resurrection. The idea of a resurrection was invented centuries later. That's not true. 
Yeah. The, the, the reports of the resurrection, Paul says, were being circulated within the lifetime of the people who saw him resurrected. Yeah. So we got an empty tomb. We have eyewitnesses who saw him. Powerful evidence. But earlier in the chat room, Jeff mentioned there were so many who suffered terribly for Christ who were there and would have known for sure if Christ wasn't resurrected yet. They never denied him. I actually think the strongest proof, at least in my mind, the strongest proof of the resurrection is the changed lives of the people who saw him. Maybe behind Jeff's number one, the Bible says so, and we believe it. But we have this proof here is so important. You know, I've I've before sort of tongue-in-cheek suggested a scenario like this. So the the apostles all get together after Jesus has been killed, but he's dead. I mean, he's dead. He's staying dead. But Peter says, hey, guys, I got an idea. Let's lie and claim that we saw Jesus resurrected because I think what could happen we could start getting we could get rich we could get rich and famous if we if we could go around we could go on a speaking tour <laughs> people Signs would, a book. people would we could write a book people would pay yeah. us money yeah. to tell our story you know and so the other apostle said hey yeah yeah this thing that, could go viral yeah it could yeah. go viral this could be an idea yeah so they started doing it they were they they were lying they knew they were lying the whole thing was a lie and they were well, what happens? Instead of getting rich and famous, they start getting thrown in jail and killed. How long are they going to keep that up? They're not going to keep that up at all. They're going to say, hey, Peter, that was a bad idea. <laughs> Whose idea was one. this? I'm out of here. Yeah. I'm quitting. They would have quit. They would yeah. not have continued on. But the fact that they continued on when they were being imprisoned, tortured, and executed proves that they were telling what they believed absolutely to be true. They were eyewitnesses. They saw it themselves. Yeah, here's a good example of that. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have been called in. They're standing in front of the same folks who had condemned Jesus to death. We're talking days earlier, you know, what, 60 days maybe? A couple months maybe? Not not any more than that, yeah. And they tell Peter and John that they need to zip it. They need to, to not speak anymore. They called them in in verse 18 of Acts chapter 4, commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Now notice Peter and John both had been cowardly deserters. deserters. Peter in a very uh, well-documented fashion three times. Denied and even knew Jesus. Yes. Notice what they say. But now after seeing the resurrection. Sixty days earlier. But now... And what happened in between was the resurrection. That's the only thing that's changed. Notice what they said. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. What have they seen and heard? The resurrection. They've got to tell their people. There's your proof right there. And the next chapter, chapter 5, they called them again. Verse 28, chapter 5. Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Yeah. And so it says in verse 41, uh, uh, verse 40, they called the apostles and beat them and commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. Let them go. So here's the first physical persecution that comes because they're proclaiming a resurrected Jesus. It says they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Even after being beaten, they kept on. I think the changed lives, as you said, changed from cowardly deserters to men who did not care. You can do what you want to us. We're going to preach about Jesus. Yeah. 
the only thing that was different was the resurrection. It changed them from those deserters to these bold proclaimers of the church. Now, if they crucified Christ and he hasn't resurrected, that only then reaffirmed that they were right in deserting him to begin with. Something had to turn them around, and the only thing that could turn them around is the resurrection itself. There's no other explanation. There is uh, some incredibly powerful proof uh, that the resurrection... Yeah, I guess 1931 says, changed lives of those who saw him and the ones who did not see him yet believed. I think you're right. I think the change... To me, the changed lives is the most powerful evidence. All right. Out of time. Out of time. A good discussion tonight. Uh, Kyle, any closing thoughts? I appreciate you being here tonight. Oh, but that was a good uh, discussion. That's good. Thank good to you. be here. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for your time tonight. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks to our listeners. And if you've got any questions or comments about the things you've heard, we, again, welcome your thoughts at any time. Questions at collegeview.com. And how's your stack of topics looking? Oh, we, we're always open to topic suggestions. We Send need them to in. Make that stack a little taller so we can get those. We uh, need to have a, a smorgasbord episode here coming up so send us your questions if you got them and if you disagree with anything you've heard and if you know someone who would be willing to come on the program and uh vocalize your position on maybe something like baptism maybe on something like instrumental music any kind of doctrinal difference that you might have if you'd be willing to come on and talk with us or if you have maybe your preacher or someone you know would be willing to come on and talk we'd welcome that as well Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Dad, thank you for your time. Thanks, Jacob. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.